first victim I came across was this young girl, probably like around eight years old, seven years old. And the blood and the, it just was horrific. You call it sanity. I mean, they don't have human empathy. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. This is Jim Clemente, retired FBI profiler, former New York City prosecutor, and writer-producer on CBS's Criminal Minds. And with me today in the studio is... Hi, everybody. It's Francie Hakes, former state and federal prosecutor. Jim, we are back in the studio, and I admit it, I'm fangirling out because we still have with us our very special guest... Tony Dennison. The Tony Tony Dennison, Jim. Actor, formerly Ray Luca was how I first was introduced to Tony Dennison and really just blown away by not only your acting ability and the stories from Crime Story back in the day and Michael Mann, you know, this characteristic neon and music and everything was just very compelling about that series. And any of our listeners who haven't seen it, you should go out and find it because it's really an amazing series. It went on for how many years? Two years. Two? I thought it was it was only two. Less than it should have gone. Eighty-four to eighty-six. Has our listeners eighty-six to eighty-eight? Eighty-six to eighty-eight. Well, eighty-six, eighty-seven, and eighty-eight. It wasn't three seasons. No, it's two two years, two full years. So four seasons. When you think about it, they used they used to used to split up a year in two seasons. Like okay. it was the fall season and mm-hmm. then the spring season. Right. So yeah, so it was four seasons yeah. between nineteen eighty-six and eighty-eight, right. and. Uh, it happened to be exactly when I applied to the FBI and when I was working in the FBI, uh, when I was first working in the FBI, that this series came out. And I, I thought it was an amazing series. Well, it was. And of course, as our listeners know, Jim has a lot of admiration for the character you played, who was a murderous killer. Me, on the other hand, I like you as the detective. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I like playing that detective. Francie, Francie. And I think I said earlier uh, that. The episode with Elizabeth Perkins was on major crimes. As I'm sitting here talking to you, I think it was also the closer. But the the one with Gail O'Grady, that was uh, that was definitely. Well, yeah. So a major let's crime. get back into it. Let's get right back into where we left off with Tony. Yeah, we're talking about an episode of the closer that really, really affected you. Yeah. Well, the, ep- the episode on the closer that affected me was uh, this this one that took place in the old Ozzy and Harriet house. And it was a murder, uh, this complete destruction, a, a massacre of a family. And, uh, and it was the first victim I came across was this young girl, probably like around eight years old, seven years old. And the blood and the, it just it was horrific. And it affected me for the rest of the, for the next 13 years. Yeah. As someone who really, to whom justice is important, 
what's it like to play a character that kills people or is responsible for killing people? Is there anything about that that you take home at night and it bothers you? Oh God, yeah. I mean, I uh, hell when I was when I was when I was doing Crime Story, I finally learned through. I have had a wonderful acting coach, Julie Bavasso, and she's long gone, God rest her soul. But uh, you know, she used to say to me, you know, you're gonna have to find a way to like to dis disconnect you know, uh, as much, as quickly as you can. And I also learned in the beginning how to connect, uh, more immediately as opposed to like, I used to like start listening to like certain songs, like the Rolling Stones, like street fighting man. And beg- when I'd get to the set and I'd be like in makeup chair, like just starting to really get into this character. And by the time I got to the set, I, w- I mean, inside I was like, I was a lunatic. I was ready, you know? And so I had to learn to sort of modulate that a little bit more. And then as your technique as an actor, for me, this, my, me as an actor, I just learned how to turn that switch a lot quicker. I don't know if it happened, you know, interestingly enough, when I got sober, I've been sober like over 25 and a half years. It may happen then, but I, I'm not sure. I can't really say with any kind of specificity. But what happens is I just get to the place now where I get to the set and I'm joking and having fun or whatever. And I sit down in my chair and as I sit down in my chair and I'm like going over the stuff before we do any rehearsals, I just start to have an open mind so that I don't come rigid. So that maybe something happens that like, Oh, I didn't think about that. And I can start incorporating that into it. So that by the time they say like maybe 15, 20 minutes before I know action is going to be called, I start, you know, walking into this character. Or I start walking into the mood that's necessary for my character to have. And then at the end, when they yell cut, it's like, whoop, go right out of it. So, you know? Tony, it, a couple of things that you said here. First of all, Ray Luca as a character, he was a very bad guy. Yeah, the, said, the end justified the means. murders. He was a young mob guy who wanted to move up. He saw his, his opportunity, and he did. And he got there by being incredibly violent. But to me, to contrast that role with Tony Soprano, Mm-hmm. And the reason why I loved Crime Story <clears throat> and didn't love Tony Soprano, I just didn't like The Sopranos because what I thought was in The Sopranos, they wanted you to like him. He was the lead character. And even though he was a horrific guy and, yeah. and responsible for many, many murders, he was brutal. They wanted you to say, I still like this guy. Whereas Ray Luca, they wanted you to fear him. Because he was so brutal. And to me, I can wrap my hands and my mind around that. But I can't wrap my mind around saying, well, he's an okay guy and he's, <laughs> he's a family man. So I'm going to like this character. Right. And that, that was the difference for me. So I couldn't watch The Sopranos, but I loved Crime Story. I thought you were amazing on it. And, and I know that other law enforcement officers liked that character as well because it showed not only the brutality of that character, but that that type of person should be feared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't watch shows like that where the bad guy is actually the lead character and they want you to like him. I never like him. Never. It's tough. I right. just can't. I just as a as a former prosecutor, I can't I just can't support the bad guy. I mean, I just never have been able to do that. But the other side of what you were talking about, you're saying everybody who commits murder at that second is probably insane. And I think what you need to do probably is step back a little bit because what you're trying to do is fit all of them in one box. And I will tell you that human behavior is so incredibly diverse that there's a spectrum of behavior. And on one side, there is certainly people who do literally lose it for that instant when they when they pull the trigger, figuratively or literally. 
But then there's another side of the spectrum, which is populated by, for example, psychopaths and sexual sadists who literally, they live their entire existence trying to find those opportunities to take advantage of, manipulate, torture, and kill people. But but there's absolutely no sanity in these people, correct? Well, when you call it sanity, I mean, they don't have human empathy. Empathy, so they don't have empathy. They have no empathy. But what they do have many times is very intelligent, thoughtful, interactive lives, but they use all their skills to get opportunities to take advantage of other people. And ultimately, whenever they can, they want to kill somebody. They want to literally take their lives. It helps them feel better about themselves. And there's a whole bunch of, there's a spectrum of those type of people. They're all not, they're not all just one type of people. So I would just stay away from trying to put everybody in one box because I'm telling you, as diverse as the human genome is, so are the people. I, that I don't know if you remember, but we had this conversation that. a long time ago. You said the same thing. Really? To me. Well, almost pretty almost consistent. Like, yeah, almost the exact <laughs> same word. See, we see. were in Larchmont having dinner okay. with some other people. And Lucille's. <laughs> yeah. This is going to surprise everyone, Jim, but I'm on Tony's side on this one. Okay. I have to be against Jim. It's yes. Just, it's a necessary. Well, he's so damn smart. It, well, no, <laughs> I don't actually give him that. He's just stubborn. That's all it is. He's oh, just stubborn. stubbornness. Yeah. But what I, that too? I see what you're saying, though, and I kind of agree with you in that it seems to me that it's easy to just sort of define everyone who can take human life as one way. That is, a switch is thrown. However you actually define that, insanity, psychopathy, to me, is kind of irrelevant. There's a switch that's thrown. Is the switch thrown off all the time in the sense of a psychopath, or is it just in the instant of a murderer who murders in some kind of a jealous rage? I don't know. But I'm with you on that. And I I do think that we cannot understand, not in any true level, motivations of people like that. We can talk about it. We can we can write about it. We can explain what their motivation is, but we can't really fundamentally understand it because we're never going to feel that. We're we're not a, we're not psychopaths, so we're never going to understand the people who enjoy watching other people hurt, we, watching other people in pain. We're never going to really understand it. We can talk about it and write about it. I mean, and and there's also, you know, like there's other kinds of like very subtle kinds of murder, so to speak, gossip, rumor. You know, you can literally murder a person's reputation Mm -hmm. by saying if the right person says something about somebody to somebody else and they take it as truth and then it gets repeated. And the next thing you know, this person is in another part of the city or another part of the country. And the people are saying, next thing you know, they're like, they're, they're done. And they haven't even done anything. It's just some one person decided to to just start some story and mur- just murder their 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 their, yeah, their, their then reputation. There are, then there are their you know, dignity. sort of organized, targeted efforts like that as well. Oh and, God, yeah, yeah. You know, and which is why I try to stay out of politics. Well, it's yeah. all about context, and so I, I want to get back a little bit to your case, uh, which you said was in the first year of the closer. Which I just also want to say for anyone who's never seen it, it's on TNT. I know you can get it on demand. It's probably streaming. Um, and then yeah, it's all over the place now. That. Major crimes now too. So in the first year of a show like that, you walk in and there's a crime scene and you feel very emotional about it. You take a step back, you figure out how to deal with it. Did you feel like you got what you wanted to portray out of that particular episode? What, I mean, what happened? Oh yeah. I, as an actor, I... I've gotten I've gotten long past the point of like saying oh I could have could have done better. Of course I could have done something different, and maybe that would have been oh you know much if I had an opportunity to maybe do another take or something like that. 
But at, at that particular point in time, when you're doing a television series, as opposed to like doing a feature film, the feature film is like, in one sense, having like a really nice hike. You're, you're moving, you're moving, you're moving, you're moving, but you're doing like one to two pages per day. And then you do a television movie, which is sort of like a jog. And, you know, you're doing maybe four to six pages a day. Then you do a television series where you're doing eight to 10 pages a day. That's like a, a dash. And you must, it's your obligation as an actor, to, especially to the crew, because they don't have time to understand, you know, you know, like you're getting paid like a lot of money. It's your job to come in and to f- make the choices that you can make in conjunction with your director and, you know, whatever, so that you can satisfy the material. And maybe because you know you're only going to get maybe one or two takes. Because you could drive yourself crazy saying, you know, I want, can I have one more? Just one more, please. Just one more. You know, you can do that more on a feature film where you can do a take. You can do five, six, seven, eight, ten takes. Some directors like to do 20 takes. You know, I love those. You know, but if I know I'm going to get two takes, that's it. And so just I, so you know, just so our listeners are aware, like a take is they'll do a long shot. They'll do a medium shot. Then they'll do a close up. Well, yeah, and they'll do multiple <laughs> versions of that. They'll let you. But those are the takes and the right. multiple versions. There's the setups. And then they'll do the takes of each, in each setup, there'll be a take, another take. And in television, maybe in a rare occasion, unless there's some technical difficulties, you'll get like two takes. Right. You know, you might do three or four times based on technical problems. That's because they got to move on. Because television, there's a clock. Yeah. It's moving. You got, it's a 60 minute show. You have like in a network television, you have 44 minutes to tell your story. I mean, on the, the streaming services, you can tell the story in 59 minutes or 58 minutes. But even they still have a clock. It's got to be over at a certain time. And so that's everybody's, it's a paper eating machine. Right. But what yeah. happens is each take becomes a puzzle piece. And yeah. in the end, the editor puts together an editor's cut, then the director gets a director's cut, and then the writer it's an gets amazing the writer's process. cut. It's an and, amazing process. And a producer's cut. So you basically, you take the pieces, each one of these pieces that when we do Criminal Minds, we break a 55-page script into about 800 shots, mm-hmm. 800. All the takes, when you add them all up, little tiny pieces. And so you have this incredible <coughs> mosaic of puzzle pieces that the editor first puts together, and then the director puts in their two cents, and then the writers and producers put in their two cents, and the end is what everybody sees on TV. But you could be substituting parts, moving scenes around, Adding ADR lines, that's ADR is when you, you don't see anybody's lips, basically. You basically, you put in a line that, that when the camera isn't on their face so that you can maybe condense something or take out a scene and just say it with one line. It's an incredibly imaginative and creative process. And I find that the shows that I really enjoy watching more than others, I like to believe that it, it was it's collaborative an effort as possible, that everybody had some kind of input. Even, look, when I was doing Crime Story, going back to Crime Story again, there were times like one time I remember I was doing the show and a guy who was crafts, doing craft services, he was sort of a tough guy and he was from New York and he was doing, and I said something and he said to me, he goes, hey, Tony, he goes, you mind if I t- tell you something? And I said, no, what is it? And he goes, you know what you might say to that guy? He goes, because I heard a wise guy say that one time. And I said, what? And he told me what it was. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. So I went in and I went and I ad-libbed that in there and everybody goes, oh my God, that's a great line. And I said, I got it from the craft service guy because you know, I didn't want to take credit for myself. Well, that's so but, nice. you know, but that's, that's what you do. It's like, it's totally collaborative. 
We all know that starting a healthy routine and sticking to one are two very different things. Inevitably, we all skimp on that full night of sleep, we skip a workout or two, or we brush our teeth with a tired old toothbrush. I mean, we're not perfect, but we can do better. And Quip is a better electric toothbrush that can help. The multi-use cover works as a stand, it mounts to mirrors, it slides over your bristles to pack and protect your Quip on the go, it declutters your sink or cabinet and makes traveling with an electric toothbrush easier. Plus, there's no wires or a clunky charger, and it runs for three months on a single charge. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association. They're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals, and they have thousands of verified five-star reviews. Quip is perfect for traveling and keeping your toothbrush clean and safe in hotel rooms. I travel a lot, and it's perfect for me. And that's why I love Quip and why over 1 million happy, healthy mouths do too. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash bestcase right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash bestcase. Have y'all heard of Robinhood? It's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Robinhood is a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It has a simple, intuitive, clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. I found that it was so easy to use the app because of the design. They use easy-to-understand charts and market data. You can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. Robinhood web platform also lets you view stock collections like the 100 most popular, sectors like entertainment and social media, and curated categories like female CEOs, and analyst ratings of buy, hold, sell for every stock. You can discover new stocks and track your favorite companies with a personalized newsfeed, and you get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint that will help you build your portfolio. Sign up now at bestcase.robinhood.com. That's bestcase.robinhood.com. Well, looking back, uh, you've obviously had a long career. You still have a long career to go. Do you ever reflect and say to yourself, gosh, I wish I had gone the law enforcement route? Or do you think to yourself, oh, I'm so glad I didn't. This was definitely the career for me. Well, I like to say that at a certain point in my, my sobriety, I learned that it was more important to be happy with who I am and not what I am. So uh, when that happened, it was like I'm in the 10-year mark in my sobriety. My life changed considerably. My internal life changed considerably. So yes, I love what I do. I love being an actor. But I would imagine that I think I could have as much fun being a lawyer or being a cop or an FBI guy or being an editor again. Look, I'd love to work for the New York Times. Are you kidding me? You yeah. know, or the Washington Post, or you know, or uh, the Picayune. You know, you, you you know, you name the newspaper. I I'd love to work for one of those papers, uh, and I would love to be. I'd love to work for the FBI. I think I'd even like to work for the CIA. I mean, I wouldn't be <laughs> home a lot, but I'd like to work for the CIA. Wow. You know, so it's like, but I get an opportunity to play all those characters. And that's what I'd love to do one time is do a lawyer. And, it's, and I've not ever played a lawyer yet. Jim. Right. And I've not ever I'm played. And I've not notes. ever played. I, no, I did play a newspaper man one time. That's true. I did play a newspaper man. And that was fun. That was a lot of fun. 
Uh, I played a reporter. I didn't play an editor, but I played a reporter. But I would like to, you know, I would, I would love to play, uh, play a lawyer. That's something I would really love. And then, and then maybe a cowboy, you know, I can do an accent, <laughs> you know, do all that stuff. Yeah. Ride right. horses. But, yeah, ride but horses. Can I just ask you, because we're here. Um, so what was it like playing Gotti? Well, Gotti was, Gotti, Gotti was kind of tough <clears throat> because uh, he was, again, a real person. And again, and that's when I just, you know, I, 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 I borrowed from a Crime Story. I borrowed my, my acting preparation stuff. Doesn't matter, you know, whether you like me or not. I, mean, I know he's not a sympathetic character, you know, even to me. But I can't bring that to the project. I have to bring this guy had a particular thing that he wanted to do. He was troubled by certain things in his life, stuff that I didn't know for sure really existed, stuff that I brought, whatever I, you know, I'd picked up little drips and drabs from different people who knew him because he was still alive at the time that we did it. And um, he's an ends justifies the means kind of guy to the max, you know, to the power at 10. And that's what I did. And I, I'd like to think that, you know, um, I, I, I can't imagine anybody turning around and say, oh, man, you know, you, you, you made him like, I, I don't think I made him sympathetic. I don't know if I did. Mm. If I did, then fine. I remember there was a guy came up to me one time who said to me something about, uh, he goes, hey, he goes, uh, and he was, he was a guy, you know, this guy's, they're, they're all passed on now, these particular guys in this story I'm telling you. But the guy says, oh, and I ran into Johnny Boy, because that was his nickname to some of the people around New York. He says, and he's really upset because he was a fan of mine from Crime Story. Uh-huh. And he goes, he goes, he's really upset that you're doing him in this movie. And I said, why? I said, it's, the movie is being, was going to be made anyway. And he said, well, because they talk about his family, you know, his, his wife and kids. And I said, there's no lines in the movie whatsoever about his wife and kids, other than they ask him, are you the, which is a true line, where he said, are you the head of the Gambino family? He goes, I'm the head of my own family my wife and my kids. That's it. That's what he said to some reporter. Mm-hmm. And they lifted that from the, uh, from the record. And I said, that's all I, that's done in the movie. He goes, well, that's not what Johnny heard. And I said, well, I'm telling you, man to man. And I'm trying to act a little tough, you know, because this guy is also, uh, you know, an, un- an uncompromising kind of guy. And, but I, but I, I said, no, I wasn't going to back down, you know, to the point of like, I just said, no, I'm telling you man to man. That's, that's what happens in the movie. If you want to believe otherwise and Johnny wants to believe otherwise, go ahead, tell him to go ahead and believe it. Said, but I'm telling you, when the movie comes out, you'll see. So the movie comes out. And uh, so I run into this guy about like, oh, I don't know, maybe six, seven months later. And I said, oh, by the way, did you see that? He comes over and he goes, oh, man. He goes, you were great. He goes, you did a great job. And I said, oh, really? I said, oh, yeah, said, thanks. I said, what did Johnny say? He said, I don't know. He's got so many other problems going on right now in the joint. He, I said, but is he still mad? He goes, I don't know. I haven't talked to him, you know, but that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Well, Tony, we started out talking about this episode of The Closer when you walked in on this family annihilator, and it turns out it was the son who was jealous of his father's new life and new family, and he apparently took it out by killing everybody. So how did this story resolve? Like, how did your character deal with it during the course of that episode? Well, we, you know, we go through the process of elimination. This was a little tougher story because who wants to believe that it's, you know, it's, you might, might think it's the wife, you know, the ex-wife or whatever, but uh, it turns, turns out to be the kid. And uh, you go through, you know, you deduce, you know, and you get to the point where you go, it's the kid. And it becomes not necessarily one of these things we have to gruel, you know, grill him across the table in the, uh, in the interrogation room. but 
it brought to mind when I was coming here on the way here that there was an episode on major crimes where I got a chance to work with an actress who I really like a lot and is a wonderful person and I hope it happens again, Gail O'Grady. And she guest starred on an episode of Major Crimes. And it was a case, which is, you know, when you think, you know, it's sad. I mean, the, the, the kid who gets killed is transgender kid. And um, we, we, G.W. Bailey's character and my character discover this kid in the park somewhere, mm. you know, in Griffith Park, I think it was. And again, we, this is, again, we immediately lead to the family again. And you think it's now the sister, you know, because this kid was troublesome to a lot of people. And um, there was a lot of heartache connected to this to this kid. And it turns out it was the mother who did it. And because of all of the heartache that this was causing them because of this transgender kid. And um, Gail Grady played, you know, played the wife, played the mother. And I remember when I was sitting across from her doing the scene and I'm like looking at her and I'm like, even as my character, I'm just looking. It's like there's a part of me that's asking whether it's Tony, you know, Andy Flynn or whatever. It's like, how the hell could you do this? Because I could say, how the hell could you do it? Rather than, you know, how could you do this? It's how the hell could you do this? So that I don't wind up having sympathy for her. You killed somebody. And you know what? I'm sorry that, you, you know, you have to go through this, but you, you're not going to get away with it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to go to jail. As simple as that. Whether it's, you know, again, an act of insanity or not, you belong in jail. Because so you can't, that- we can't afford to have you get insane again another time. Right. You know? So is that how you felt about the kid in this particular scenario where he wiped out his father's new family well it's i guess you know that's a good question because it's a little bit different with the kid because he was you know he was he was under 16 i think he was i think the kid was like 14 or 15 if memory oh, serves kid, me well. you mean an actual kid yeah yeah i i don't i don't remember i i, I think again this is not a dodge to the question because kira was the one who you know kira's character did most of the interrogation mm-hmm. or most of the the, the, the questioning of him at that point. So I don't remember. I just remember that I just thought this kid needs to be put away because again, it doesn't matter act of insanity or not. We can't afford to have that person out on the street again, because if they can go insane one time, they can go insane two times. So uh, it's on us. It's on all of us that we have to find a way that if we're going to let that person out, damn, we've got to be really sure. I mean, you got to be really, really sure. I think, you know, you do, you, if, if you commit a crime and there's parole connected to the crime, well, that's the way the system is set up. But I don't understand parole when it comes to murder. I don't know what the system is, how it's structured, how they may come to these determination. But when you take somebody's life, unless it's <clears throat> some barroom brawl where you're having a fight with some guy and maybe you kill the guy. I mean, I, I don't know. Parole to me must be like really, really thought out. Mm. That's, but that's just Tony's personal opinion. I uh, like Tony's personal opinion, Jim. You know, I, I mean, I remember that. there was one episode we did, and again, I got to work with an actress, Elizabeth Perkins, who I whose work I love, and she played a, a drunk driver. And there was the the girl who, and this haunted me for the whole episode. We did we almost shot it chronologically, and she was drunk driving, and she caused this girl who just happened to pass me as I was driving in my car. I was off duty. And uh, she passed me and waved to me. She's a cute kid. And he was like, oh, hello. And she's on a little motor scooter. And the next thing you know, she gets this car, like, side sideswipes her. And she goes off and she hits uh, she hit the back of another car or something. And she's dead. Mm. And so I was obviously the first officer on the scene because it was, you know, and she sort of died in my arms as I was holding her. She dies. So that was, like, pretty tragic. But what really, really got to me was the woman who played her mother. 
and father, they came to the crime scene the next day. And the mother was there. And oh, I mean, I think about it now. And this is just, this, this is actors. And I think about this woman and she's talking about her daughter. I'm telling you, I, I had every, I mean, when you see that episode, my, have tear, my eyes are well with, you know, and it wasn't scripted. It was just this woman, the way she cause didn't know how she was going to play it. And she just played it in a certain, such a way that in the way she like put her arms out, like, and I just thought, oh my God, this poor woman. And that stayed with me the whole episode. So the next time I had the scene with Elizabeth Perkins, where I was questioning her, it was like revulsion and pity and anger and everything was like at play. Cause I could just, all I could see was that mother. And the fact that she was like sort of trying to be a little flippant about it and you know what I didn't do any, you know, and it was like, whoa, man, mm-hmm. it's like took everything, you know, because as an actor, you don't want to like go over the top and, you know, it's like all nonsense, but I had to keep it. You can't play your hand. You know, you can't really write. You know that. Right in that you, moment. Yeah. You, you can't. can't play your card. You got to like, you got to hold your cards close to the vest. I love the opportunity to do that as a, as a person. Well, and it shows. And I think that's what makes you a good actor is Hopefully. you have that empathy. And I mean, obviously it's pretend, although I just hate that word. It sounds so childish, but it's acting. I mean, you're using real life, your real life empathy, because there are people who are killed by drunk drivers. There are people who are annihilated by family annihilators. There, all that exists and it exists and we see it, you know, every day, unfortunately. And it's obvious you bring that into your roles. We got some really good, you know, uh, kudos from a lot of different people for those series. I mean, the the plots that James Duff and the writers came up with uh, on uh, both shows, The Closer and Major Crimes, they were, pre- I mean, there were a lot of times we would be in, we'd be in a reading. And at the end, I remember one time John Tenney and I, because John Tenney played Kira's husband. And I remember at the end when we figured out who, when they say who the, the murderer is, I looked over at John and said, did you did you figure that out? You know, John was no. Like, oh my god, that's unbelievable. By the way, you know, John played an FBI agent, just so you know. Yeah, and yeah, right, he did. And uh, so there's, you know, there's that kind of stuff. It was great, and I'm sorry the show got canceled. I would love to have done another two or three years of it, maybe even more. But it was fun. It was fun playing that character. I loved working with Mary McDonald and the rest of the cast. You know, would GW. you play another cop? Would you do it again? Oh, I'd love to play a cop, and I would have to. It's up. The onus is on me to find a way to make it different. I remember like. When I was doing Crime Story, Julie Bavasso, again, God rest her soul, and I would talk to her on the phone when I was right before we started filming the pilot. And she said, you know, you got to go. She goes, go look at go look at The Godfather again. And she goes, I don't know when was the last time you saw it. But I realized that all those guys are killers. They're all, each one is different. Mm-hmm. Find something that's different for you. You know, find something that you can bring in what you need to bring in. So that even if you were in The Godfather, you'd be different than Sonny. You'd be different than Fredo. You'd be different than Michael. And even remember the scene where uh, Tom Hayden comes over to, uh, you know, to Tessio and he says, can you let me off the hook for old time's sake, Tom? And he goes, no, I can't do it. The way he looks at him, it's like so cold-blooded. Can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, You know, it's really just as cold-blooded as the rest of them. So, you know, you look for those moments. And, you know, speaking again about New York Times, I'll tell you one thing about the New York Times, which is great. You know, the New York Times called Crime Story the best television series you never saw. Wow. That's what they said. Time. It was so, well, I saw it. I know, but I mean, it was. I mean, it was. It was popular the yeah. first couple of mm-hmm. when it was on, but then it sort of went, we were up against some stiff competition. And I, Crime Story was and continues to be ahead of its time. Yeah, definitely way ahead of its time. So we have to go back though. And okay, let's wrap up. So how did this case resolve with the boy who killed his step family? <clears throat> uh, he went away to juvenile detention. 
And I don't know, I don't know for how many years, I don't remember at the top of my head how many years he went away for, but certainly until he was an adult and then he was going to go uh, serve time as an adult. Mm. But it was, it was the kind of thing where he was at that age. I don't know, you as a, as a prosecutor, you would know, I forget what age he was now. I think he was 15. So he, so, could, he was tried in juvenile court or he was tried in adult well, we court? Well, do, we don't do the trials on oh, closer yeah, or right. major crimes. Oh, we just yeah. say that, they're on their way to go whatever. And can I just say, as a critic, I wish you had. No. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. missing my character. <clears throat> well, that's what's so great go. about That's what I like about, uh, I used to like about, you know, Law and Order. Mm -hmm. But my girlfriend is like completely hooked and is getting me hooked on Law and Order SVU. Mm -hmm. She has me hooked on that show. So I'm watching that show and it's, it's a great show. All right. So, Tony, you've told us about this case, this episode of closer that really stuck with you even after all these years can you tell us whether this was a best case or a worst case and why i think it was the best case for me because as an actor it really helped set a lot of things for my character in terms of his his approach to crime scenes later on i was complimented by mike bertram uh, you know, and he said to me one time, it was an LAPD. Officer. It wasn't, you know, he was yeah. like his, his, his whole life. I mean, long, you know, he retired while he was doing our show and, uh, stayed with us and became a producer. And he said, you do stuff. He said, that is like very similar to stuff that I, that I used to do. He said, and you, you're really, you're really getting this stuff. And it was, and it, it was like, he said, when you ask questions, it's a lot different than, you know, how come, you know, it's, it's just different questions that begin with, in this situation would, you know, as opposed to how come, you know, mm -hmm. the other thing that wound up being really funny, I mean, it's, it's a small little coincidental thing, but when I, which we, you got to choose your weapons that you wanted to use. And the weapon that I wound up for my character was the same weapon that, that Mike Bertram used. Mm -hmm. So I felt good about that. That's you know? great. Tony, really appreciate you coming in and talking to us about this very compelling episode of The Closer and salting in information about your career and your motivations and your life. And that's really interesting. And we hope you'll come back and join us again and talk about other episodes and other things. Yeah. We could talk more about, there were more shows about major crimes, but I, that one particular episode was like really important. And uh, the one particular episode that I mentioned in major crimes that was very important was the one with Gail O'Grady and, and Elizabeth Perkins, where Flynn gets an opportunity to like really get in touch with stuff as a parent. You know, you're a parent too. I mean, so it's like it hits you at all different levels. Thank God at the end of the day, then they all cut, you're able to walk away from it. Mm. Whereas the guys on the job, I mean, there's like I used to say, my life as Andy Flynn begins between action and cut, you know, whereas your life, you know, as Jim Clemente and as any kind of an officer, and as your life too as a prosecutor. It begins when you wake up in the morning and then when you go to sleep at night, there's no action and cut. Right. It's like you wake up, action, boom, and then you have your whole day. And then it's like cut, you go to sleep. Mm. So that's where, you know, I get a break between action, after action and cut. You guys don't. I mean that. I All mean right. that in, very, in a very, admir uh, you know, an admirational kind of way. Is that a word, admirational? It is now. <laughs> I like to make up words. We agreed on something, Francis. I like Shocking. to make up words. Yeah. It's Tony's influence. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. Until next time, signing off for Best Case, Worst Case. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clemente at Empire Studios, L.A., 
engineered and edited by Mike Thal. Music composed and performed by Simba Sumba, and hosted by Wonder. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Stories about child sexual abuse can make us feel powerless. But the good news is that there are organizations working to prevent abuse and keep kids safe. Darkness to Light and their Stewards of Children Prevention Training has trained more than 1.4 million adults to protect, recognize, and react responsibly to child sexual abuse. But there's more work to do. And with their 4 million by 2020 goal, Darkness to Light is setting their sights on training 4 million adults around the country to keep kids safe. By donating to Darkness to Light, you can help reach this goal that will make communities across the country safer places for kids. It starts with you. Visit www.d2l.org today to give. That's www.d2l.org. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.